What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. Today, the guest for the podcast is going to be Thomas from Hoke Outdoors. You guys heard him on here plenty of times before. He's one of my good buddies, and he's stopping through on his way to Minnesota for his summer intern. So we talk about all that, plans going on, a um, bunch of different stuff. It's going to be a great podcast, and I can't wait to jump into that. But before that, guys, I want to give you a quick reminder. Check out our brother podcast, Titus from Mid-Valley Mercenary, the MVM Show, and Josh from Outdoor Limits. They're both doing duck hunting podcasts as well. You guys have probably listened to them, but if you haven't, make sure to jump over there. It is another, they are both awesome um, duck hunting related podcast as well, and you don't want to miss them. So, um, and there are buddies from the Flyways Collective. Um, but before we jump into the podcast, let's get a quick word from our partners and we'll jump right into it. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to OnX. Guys, OnX has been a great solution for me for uh, getting that permission on private land. You can use it for the public land hunter as well. I do as well. A great benefit for the public land hunter is you can download the maps if you're going to a rural area and right there, it's on your phone. Um, you can use the satellite for it that's built into your smartphone, all that good stuff. Um, but for private land, I've been able to find landowners really quick. Just see their see their tax information, um, go to their house, knock on the door, talk to the farmer, talk to the landowner, and get that yes or no. And I've greatly increased my hunting opportunities using it. So check them out, guys, on X. Also like to give a big thanks to the newest partner of the podcast. We got Rogers and F.A. Um, one of the um, coolest things that I've seen from them so far is the Sub 3 A-frame blind. And the coolest feature on that, or one of the cool features on that, is that it actually breaks in half and you can use it like a panel blind. So on our river hunts, we've used panels in the past, but I'm definitely definitely going to be using this A-frame. Split it in half, only take half of it with you, set up right on the shore, with a tree line behind you, and bam, you're hunting. Or if you're going six wide, you know, same thing. So um, it's going to be super cool. I can't wait to use that blind. Um, but, guys, if you're a duck hunter, you definitely heard of Rogers and Final Approach. And, uh, you know, big thanks to them. Can't wait to, uh, you know, see what the season holds. And, and they got tons of great, awesome waterfowl products. So check them out. Um, also like to give a big thanks to... Tetra hearing, uh, guys, that's something that I've had to make a change myself as, uh, when I first started hunting, I did not use hearing protection. Um, you know, guns a blazing for the, the time I've been hunting and I already can tell some hearing loss has happened. So I want to prevent that. I've talked to older, older waterfowl hunters and you can hear it when you talk to them or see it. Um, they struggle to hear. It's hard to carry on a conversation. I don't want that to be me. Um, and Tetra has the perfect solution for that. Uh, the technology that they have in their um, hearing protection, you can still hear all the, the sounds. You can hear the wings whistling. You can hear the birds, the ducks quacking. Um, you can hear your buddies talking in the blind, but bam, when the guns start blazing, it cuts out that sound and that sound only. So it is perfect for that. Check them out, guys. Tetra Hearing. You won't regret it. Also like to give a big thanks to Motion Ducks. Um, Motion Ducks are the creators of the ultimate spreader. And uh, on those no-wind days, it is um, a great way to get that lifelike motion in your decoys. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it in person. It's hard to to give it justice, just get just saying words. But if you see a video of it, um, it is awesome. I won't hunt without it. Elliot's the same way. Um, it's just such a great tool. 
And it's really the next level when it comes to having motion, having ripples in your decoys, especially especially on those no-end days. So check them out, guys, and use code DECKGUN2020 for 10% off. Alrighty, um, let's go ahead and jump on into today's podcast. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles and flying solo today, but I got my guest with me today, Thomas from Virginia. Well, Thomas from Oak Outdoors. You are from Virginia, though, so yep, I, I saved it there. Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing today, man? Good. Back up here in Indiana, making it a little bit of a tradition now. <laughs> Stopping through on uh, on my way up to Minnesota, so thanks for having me yet again. Yeah, glad to, glad to have a place for you, kind of midway to stop and and uh, break that long trip up. So yeah, it's always fun to come up here right at the beginning of the summer and right at the end of the, and come through again right at the end of the summer. I like to see like the difference in the bird numbers because I remember last year when I came through right at the end, you know, there were a bunch of geese around and everything. And right now it's just like, Oh, there's a couple pairs of ducks here and there. So it'll be cool to come back through and see, I'll be coming through again, I think like right before goose season. So nice. I'll be able to see you right in the, uh, right in the like preseason run up. Yep. Yep. Good deal, man. Does it for you, does it feel like it's been a year since it's like, <laughs> yeah no doesn't really feel like it i this, feel like time is just flying nowadays it's like i mean it i'm like man what, has it really been a year since the first time you, you stopped over in the last last drive to minnesota it's crazy so. yeah does not feel like that like long ago at all yeah yeah but yeah uh you're here now and <laughs> woke you up bright and early. I'm like, man, we gotta we gotta get a podcast in. So Yeah. Got in a little bit too late last night for one, so gotta get up, be the early riser and knock one out. Yep. Excited. Awesome. So what are your uh your plans going up to Minnesota again? So doing uh another summer gig working for DRC call company, working for Corey again. Um gonna be up in Red Lake Falls, Minnesota. I really fell in love with that area last year, you know, got to work up there all summer long for Corey, and uh, I got the opportunity to go up again this year, so jumped at it, and I'm really excited to be up there for a few months, and I think we got a lot of really cool plans, so I'm excited to hit the ground running up there. Nice. And, uh, you know, a couple things to mention. I mean, you just (laughs) graduated, I'm trying to combine the word graduated and congratulations so congratulations on that <laughs> thank you um but will this be your last time up there or do you know or no i don't know for sure i mean i would love to make this a summer gig every year i think that would be awesome i don't know if life will <laughs> necessarily let that happen as i get older so i'm definitely trying to take full advantage of having a pretty flexible um schedule and living arrangement right now but um I, yeah i'd like to go up there and continue doing this i don't know if i can handle a minnesota winter you know <laughs> being from virginia i'm not really used to four foot of snow and negative temperatures so 
I don't know. Maybe it'll just be a summer gig. Maybe it'll turn into something more. We'll just have to kind of see how it plays out. But I'm I'm definitely excited to be doing it again. I just just the the work is so much fun. Like it's honestly a, a dream job. It doesn't feel like work doing working to make duck and goose calls because especially because we're direct to consumer. It really feels like you're making an impact in people's lives or or you know you're doing you're doing some good work. So um, yeah, yeah. I know. I definitely know what you mean there. So that's 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 pretty cool to to be able to see the you know the customer and a product and mm-hmm. and, and the combination of the two so yeah that's cool and, and i've never met Corey, just seeing him on social media but i bet he he seems like a cool boss to work for too so yeah exactly it's it's just it's just a lot of fun and getting to learn about so many different things i mean obviously call making is our main thing but he owns a lot of dogs so we always get to run dogs and and stuff like that so yeah it's a lot of fun and i'm excited and hopefully i can uh can stay up there for a little bit longer than last year because i would like to get to experience some more of the waterfowl hunting up there i gotta you know i had to leave a little bit early last year to get back to school so i don't don't have that hanging over my head this year yeah yeah honestly you can just you don't even have to come home you can just start hunting straight from there <laughs> yeah i know i know it's definitely really tempting i definitely want to i'm gonna do the the august in north dakota again this year that was so much fun last year but uh september in virginia is like one of my favorite times like opening day of dove season has always been one of my favorite days of the entire year so i just don't yeah. think i can miss it but hopefully get back home for a few weeks and then maybe turn back around and be don't right they, back up do there. they not have dove dove in minnesota I don't know if they have a dove season in Minnesota. Honestly, I know they have one in North Dakota. I'm I'm sure they probably do have one yeah, in Minnesota, but yeah. I just I don't think it's like the same sort of same sort of like uh, traditional thing that it is in Virginia, where you know you get all your buddies together for the opening day dove shoot, yeah. have a little cookout, that sort of deal. So it's definitely something that uh, that's been ingrained into me through Virginia hunting. It's like, hey, dove, opening day of dove season. That's when it all kicks off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that tradition you're talking about is almost like a a southern thing when it comes to dove hunting. Um, but yeah, I feel like we don't have that in my area too. We we uh we dove hunt, you know, and that's something that I, that I enjoy doing too. But it's more like, hey, call your buddies, and uh, we get in a, a quick dove hunt before work. It's not like a, a cookout and all that. But you know, maybe that needs to change. Maybe I need to <laughs> yeah, step it up. Yeah, man. try to get some of these guys interested in doing that, but. It's the first. I wonder. I'm trying to figure out when's that fall on this year. Um, let's see, June, July, August. It's a a Thursday. So we'll see. We'll see what I can pull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that it falls on a Thursday because you know our September goose season opens always open September one in Virginia. So it's nice to get a, just a couple days of goose hunting in, and then that first Saturday in the of September is typically dove season. So I like to, you know, have just a couple of days of goose hunting and then get into the dove hunting. That is pretty nice. Oh yeah. So, Oh, cause so your dove is the first Saturday. Yeah. So it's, okay. it, they don't, they don't necessarily open on the same day. Cause I would feel a little bit conflicted if they opened on the same day. It's like, Oh, first yeah. day, what do I pick doves or geese? Yeah. So at least Virginia kind of takes that decision out of your hands. <laughs> I can tell you that last year I picked goose cause I went up to Michigan for the first and then I came back, and we did some dove hunting after that. Actually, I, I dove hunted that evening, um, which isn't the same as a morning dove hunt. You kind of it's a little bit warmer and all that, but um, but yeah, no, that stuff will be rolling right in. Um, and I'll have to make some choices too on what to do. But <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing with Virginia too is our opening day. We can only hunt the afternoons 
for doves. So, um, or, yeah, the season doesn't open until noon on the first day. So even on that Saturday, we'll probably try and sneak in a little quick goose hunt that morning and then um, get try and get to the dove field by midday. And even then, like, the doves in my area typically doesn't don't fly till like, 3, 4, 5 o'clock on those hot September days, at least in the afternoon. So you can really kind of take your time and get out there and wait for the best time of the day, typically, if you're on, on a good spot. Yep, yep. I will say, you know, a lot can change in the summer on, on what your plans are going to be. But um, another thing to think about, which I wonder when uh, North and South Dakota open up for early teal. They don't have early teal. Really? I, so I it know, starts I, at Nebraska. I I don't want to speak out of turn and say South Dakota hat doesn't for sure because I haven't like really looked into it. I know North Dakota, North Dakota doesn't, but I'm pretty sure South Dakota does not as well. I think, hmm. yeah, I think Nebraska is the first state. So it's like a Nebraska – Kansas, Oklahoma, and Texas thing. Do I mean the Mississippi Flyway states have early teal, but all as far as I know, all the Mississippi Flyway states start at sunrise instead of a half hour before, and uh, you know that puts a big damper on it for me because I've been on hunts. We went last year on uh, we went goose hunting and we killed geese, and that whole morning we saw. Um, teal buzzing around and so we decided to set up for him the next day went up there set up i mean we had them in our decoys flying around big flocks and even like just swimming around in the decoys we couldn't shoot and it was a bluebird crystal clear day and so i mean by the time it was sunrise it looked like it was midday and uh <laughs> literally the last birds flew by with maybe it was like a minute after and we didn't take the shot because um like they'd just been working in and landing in our set so perfect for like we could have shot limits. And it was, I mean, it was just me and Kevin. So it was just two of us. Uh-huh. Um, so that puts a damper on it. I mean, I understand why they do it. We got a lot of wood ducks and there's a lot of wood ducks that, you know, accidentally get identified as teal during that, that time. So I get why they do it, but it definitely puts a damper on it compared to like being out and the central flyway for early teal yeah for sure and i that's kind of the same way it is in virginia i have very very limited teal hunting experience in virginia but from what i've seen we have that same like super early teal flight and a lot of times there's literally nothing after sunset or sunrise versus like elliot it seems like they always at least have a at least some sort of trickle through midday for the teal even even when they don't have a bunch of numbers up there it's like they're birds out there seem to slide a little longer so i don't know maybe that's just a a perception thing and maybe i'm getting it wrong but it it seems like i don't know the birds out in his neck of the woods fly a little longer yeah my my theory on it is that they don't fly further or longer is that there's more birds so you get more scragglers so it's just you get the birds that are uh late arrivers or you're just flying around a little later and so if you know they just have so many birds compared to what we have that you know, if if we're out there and we're looking around as, oh, it's like 2% of birds when we fly after that 30-minute mark, whatever that number is. I don't know. I'm just throwing that number out for quick math. Well, if it's 2% and you have 100 times the birds, <laughs> yeah, you, you get the, you know, you can get the, the birds in there and still have a good shoot. So, you know. Whatever. I'm just crying about it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they definitely have it good out there. Like, I mean, the the Atlantic Flyway teal season has never been anything special to me so far. So it's just, it seems like it's a different world out there for teal in that central flyway. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like you got to find them around here. And yeah, it's not something that I really even try to target just because 
Um, if you have the option between that and geese, it's like, well, yeah, geese are definitely going to be flying around and you can find feeds and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's just way easier to have success on it. So, yeah. And I mean, you're, you're hunting typically resident geese in September and the teal are <laughs> so migratory. I mean, the thing we always say in Virginia about the teal is here one day, gone the next. I mean, we've had it before multiple times where you go out and scout and find 50, a hundred birds the night before yeah. and go back in the morning and there's just nothing they left overnight. So mm-hmm. that's, that can be really, really frustrating. Yeah. And with that too, I've been, um, it's where you hunt and as soon as as soon as the guns start blazing the next day they're gone mm-hmm. so it's like you try to hunt one area and i did that when i when i went down to kentucky for early teal and that's probably the best success i've ever had uh for early teal in the mississippi flyway and you know before kentucky people get mad at me i'm not saying that like kentucky's like a, a hidden gym for teal i don't think it is i'm just that hunt in particular uh was the best hunt you know and then we went there the next day and it was unbelievable like i mean teal buzzing around everywhere and then the next day, it was unbelievable because I don't even remember seeing any. <laughs> yeah, that's nuts. That yeah, was... but it was that that uh, that that uh, area, that public land area, marsh, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, wetland. Um, I mean, there's people packed in there for <laughs> for early opener. Yeah, and I mean, y'all boated in there, correct? Like mud boat? Um, no, we kayaked in there, and then we like had to walk through like. It was, oh man, it was killer. Oh, okay. Oh I was going to say, I figured like if it's a mud boat area, like with people running around in boats, I would think that would move the teal off really quick there, too. There was people uh, using mud mud motors and going around, but where we went to, we kayaked in as far as we could and then had to get out and like walk through like waist deep muck and mm-hmm. it was almost impossible to get through. <laughs> yeah. I guess I shouldn't say just mud. I just mean boats in general, just because yeah. I feel like whenever I see teal on like marshy areas, like they don't kind of tuck back into the, some of the spots wood ducks and stuff do. I, I feel like, so I feel like maybe teal just get pushed off by that boat pressure a little bit easier. Yeah, definitely could be. And I'm trying to think of it. Um, maybe, you know, but I can't remember. I feel like Kentucky and Tennessee, um, that till their early till season is a half hour before sunrise, but they also mix in wood duck. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why they have the mixed in wood duck, which I'd be a huge fan of that if they did that in India. And I think everybody would, but mm-hmm. you know, I understand if they don't want to do that too. So <laughs> yeah, it's a weird trade off. Cause I'm pretty sure if you put the wood duck in with the teal season, it actually takes away from your, you know, you're using your part of your 60 days of regular duck season. Um, yeah. So it's like, do you really want to use those 60 days of regular duck season to be able to shoot one extra species? Um, that's a little bit of a trade-off, in my opinion. If they did something like a, I don't even know how they'd do it. Yeah, that'd be yeah, that'd be a little a little tough to be like, hey, I want to I want to trade wood duck, a couple of days of wood duck, um, and instead of like mallards in late season, so a couple a couple of days of wood duck with teal. I don't know. That'd be a, that'd be a tough one. I'll tell you right now. There's plenty of days. During the middle of season, it depends where they take it from, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> where you're in the, like, the law of season, all your birds are gone from early season. You're wor- waiting on that first um, big cold front to push through. It's like, man, I would trade those days for early till all day long. So mm-hmm. early till with a wood duck mix. Yeah. I- I'm in the same boat. There's definitely definitely days where, where I'd take that October wood duck hunt that we get in Virginia <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. No, we can't, uh, you know. Uh, we're both in the same boat on this, but we, we have to, you know, um, 
wood duck hunting is a big part of our season. So <laughs> yeah, same here. And we, honestly, in Virginia, we had probably the best wood duck hunting I've ever seen this past year. So I really enjoy. I, I really enjoyed those like late January wood duck hunts, and we were killing them in the ice and stuff. Oh, wow. And that's really fun because I mean, every drake you shoot then is I mean a complete stud pretty yeah. much. So that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know what it was. I'm guessing that we just. Because uh, we had like we had a harder winter this year than the past two years, but it didn't really get cold much at all past us. So I feel like we were the stopping area for the wood ducks. We didn't have as many big ducks as we've had some of, in the past cold winters, but I mean the wood duck numbers were just incredible I, from what I saw. Nice, yeah. We I feel like I've had seasons like that, and we weren't like that last year, but where we're killing wood ducks all the way through the whole season. So they're uh. They're fun bird to hunt. I don't think they get a, enough credit from all, all the other guys in the Central Flyway and Pacific Flyway, but I mean they're definitely a staple of <laughs> of my season. So. Yeah, I love hunting them over ice because people people always think, hey, if you got ice around, you're not going to kill wood ducks. And there's a few spots around around me where it's like if we have ice, I know the exact like open little bit of flowing water to go to. And I mean, when those wood ducks are coming in like that, I mean it's just yeah, no, Not that's wild. Barrel action. I feel like I'd I feel like I'd be one of those guys that say, "Hey, if we have ice, we w- we wouldn't have wood ducks." And um, I don't feel like I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've only seen it. The only time I've ever seen us really lose our wood ducks in Virginia was the seventeen eighteen winter, when I think the whole country had a really really hard freeze. But I mean, we can see our our wood ducks. They go from the swamps and then they'll hit like little channels and stuff off the swamps and then after those freeze they'll actually go out to like some of not big rivers but some of the smaller flowing rivers and you can go out there and we've done like little jump shoots out there out of the kayaks or a john boat for three or four days while all the swamps were locked up and you're just shooting wood ducks on wood ducks out there because you know there's a few acorns a little bit of food eventually Mm -hmm. they have to move off those rivers because there's not really enough to hold them but it is cool to watch them kind of transition out of their natural habitat to more of a forced one yeah i wonder why they uh they don't um try to be more like mallards to say it short but why they don't go out in the corn during late season as much like our wood ducks it feels like they move on and 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 that's probably just what they got to do right Mm -hmm. but like in early season i had that one i i uh cut open because i picked them up and it felt like i was picking up a corn cob with feathers you know like i could feel so much corn all through his body i mean from his stomach all the way through his gullet and you know i cut him open it was just i mean corn was spilling out of his mouth out of it was like it was crazy you know, and so I'm like, if they can do that in October, you know, what's making them not do that and just sticking around, like you say, in rivers? It's just, it seems like their preference is to be in those swamps. And they're just going to, for, for us, because we freeze so early, I mean, we're talking about usually the first week of November, second week of November at max. Um, they're kind of just out of there. And my, my thing I always say about wood ducks um, is the, the first skim ice we get, they're gone. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know what makes the difference between the Central Flyway wood ducks because out in Minnesota, you know, I'm sure I'll be out there tomorrow probably seeing wood ducks in a field. I mean, they're out there in fields Mm -hmm. this time of year, and they shoot them out there in the fields in in the fall as well. And then your wood ducks out here, they're they're really afraid of ice. And then on the East Coast, I'll never see a wood duck in a field, but, you know, they'll sit there and they'll fight the ice for two weeks sometimes while – we're dealing with conditions that would, you know, 
typically send your wood ducks packing. So I don't know what the difference is. I've never seen a wood duck in a field <laughs> on the East Coast, but, um, you know. I'm I'm sure there's somewhere up north where they're saying the same thing about mallards, where <laughs> we have mallards that last all season, right? And and maybe it's just a weather thing. And, and uh, you know, up there in Canada, they're like, man, I wish our mallards would just be resident all year long. But at a certain point, they leave, and, and you just don't have birds. So, um, yeah. Definitely, yeah. definitely uh, interesting, mm-hmm. interesting thing to think about. They're an inter- interesting bird. I love that they eat acorns. I think the acorn thing probably has a lot, a lot to do with it too, because you know we have so many, you know, so many oak trees where I'm around where I'm at is that they can find acorns in the swamp. They can find acorns along the river. They can find acorns even around big lakes a lot sometimes. So hmm. um, I feel like we have a lot of a- a- acorns around here too, but. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> no, but it's, yeah, I'm just thinking. You know, just thinking out loud. So. It definitely, it definitely makes them taste good. I think they're. I don't know. I still think they're probably my favorite bird to eat. Pintail and and greenwing are close, but man, it's hard to beat a an acorn fed <laughs> wood duck. Yeah, you know, no, definitely skin on wood duck is a delicacy mm-hmm. <laughs> in my book. Yeah. All righty, fellas, want to take a quick minute again to let you guys know about another one of my partners. And it is Dirty Duck Coffee. And, uh, guys, they make some awesome coffee for the Duck Hunter. All their branding, all the uh, the coffee they got on there is duck hunting related. So um, I'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it. So check them out, guys. Um, my favorite one is the Suns Up, Guns Up, Colombian Supremo. Favorite one I've tried so far. Haven't tried them all. Um, but that one is awesome. So... Um, if you guys want to try out a coffee company that is by duck hunters and for duck hunters, um, be sure to check them out, Dirty Duck Coffee, and use code DUCKGUN15. It'll get you 15% off, and it'll help me out as well. So be, f- be sure to check them out. All righty, let's go ahead and jump back into the podcast. Nope. Well, um, back to back to kind of talk about Minnesota a little bit. Um, you know, once, one thing you said you, you get to do up there is work with dogs a lot. And I've heard you kind of go back and forth on this, but where where do you stand on getting a dog? Uh, I feel like the last time I came on here, I almost certainly said this time next year I would have a dog. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I said that. <laughs> I think so. Um, I want one so bad. My like college housing situation got like worse and worse over the course of this year. Like I lived in a fraternity house, and the house is just falling apart. So. <laughs> It didn't. It didn't make sense for this year, and then right now it's like I just need more money. Like that's what it comes down to. I think I could get the dog, but then I want to have enough in the bank where if anything comes up vet related or something like that, it's like I'm not scrounging to to find dollars to you know go and take care of my dog. So yeah, I just want to be in a little more of a stable place. I'd love to have a dog for next fall. Obviously, that's not going to happen at this point. But um, you could have one. He just probably wouldn't be ready to hunt. Yeah, exactly. So I still think best bet is probably going to be I'm going to try and aim to get one December, January time frame, maybe a little bit earlier. That way I can train it throughout the spring and have it ready for next year. But it's just just getting the money and having some stability in my life in terms of a li- living situation. So you won't be picking one up in Minnesota? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> As much as I'd love to, because Corey just had a litter this past spring, and they look like awesome dogs. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it's just a little, little bit out of your price range, or eh, yeah, just not in the cards at this time. 
I don't know, man. You hang around with those pups. It's like I said, a lot of things can change pretty quick. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, I still, I also like, I want to take as many opportunities as I can to still hunt with other people who have dogs while I don't have my own dog to, you know, kind of have to worry about because I feel like I can still learn. I still have a ton to learn from other people about dog training and how to handle a dog and everything like that. So I'm going to try and make it a point this season to, um, you know, not seek out people who have dogs to hunt with, but, you know, try and get on some hunts for sure with people who have, who have trained retrievers and try and just learn from them in the field. Nice. Yeah. So you won't be just, you know, finding random strangers in the marsh. Like, Hey, you got a dog. Can we, can we hunt together tomorrow? Uh, I don't know. You never know. Waterfowl yeah. hunting is a wild, wild thing. You never know what'll come up, but no, I, I think I'm going to, Try and hunt with my buddy Josh. He's got a little pup that, or I guess not a pup anymore. He's got a dog that um, we hunted with this past season. And then also I've got some other friends back in Virginia who've got pups. So it'll be interesting to see kind of their progression. I, I like watching that progression from year one, year two, year three. I think that's probably um, a really informative thing for kind of me to see. Because, you know, seeing a, a well-seasoned gun dog, obviously you can learn a lot about handling a dog. But I feel like getting over those challenges early and having a dog is probably the hardest part of training a retriever. Am I wrong? No, you're right. It's uh, that first, really that first year is a little um, more about the dog than it is about hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're doing it wrong. and Or maybe you get lucky. But for me with Chief, it's like... Yeah, I did everything wrong, to be honest, <laughs> and he still he still turned out pretty good. So, um, I it come you know the old saying is it's dirt under the feet that makes the dog. Mm-hmm. So it's like if the amount of time you hunt, if you take a dog and you don't do some of the terrible things that you can like ruin a dog with, as far as like making it gun shy or or uh, you know uh, don't let them break. That's one mistake I made with Chief, and it's like really hard to train out of a dog once they get to get to an age so it's like you know if you can avoid some of those things it's like then it's just about experience and time out there and and my dog's not you know i I haven't trained him to be a um a trial dog with all the the you know the fancy stuff but he is a uh he's an excellent meat dog you know we go out there he knows what to do it's like i at some point you get to the point where you don't have to like i call it like babysit you just i don't have to worry about him at all just come come over here sit he sits with us and he's watching the birds being still. He knows exactly what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And we shoot him. He goes out there and gets them, and he'll just do it one after the other. We had one hunt last year where it's like we shot 13 ducks. We shot our uh, three-man limit of mallards and a bonus black duck. And, I mean, it happened, uh, like 11 of those happened in, like, the first 30 minutes. And it was just for him. He was like, Back and forth, and back and forth, and back, and like we're we're hunting and killing the birds. He'd get up there, and as soon as like, you know, we'd have three in the water. He'd have to go and and get a couple more, and it's just like, you know, when you get to that point, and like all I did was hunt and take birds out of his mouth, and then tell him to go get another one. It's uh-huh. like, you know, once you get to that point, it's like it's so rewarding to have a dog that's like that. And then and then we did have some that fell into the cattails. We had, um, you know, a couple live ones, and he jumped in there and crawled through that stuff, and. um I mean, unbelievable nose too. So it it blows your mind. You, you hear that from a lot of different dog guys. I, you know, I think it's like uh, you ever hear like grandparents when they have a grandkid. And they, yeah, they're always talking about their kid. Like it's unbelievable. He's so smart. I think he's a genius. <laughs> that's how that's how uh, duck hunters are with their dogs. So I always try to be self aware of that. But you know, all all dog hunters, a lot of you know people who have decent dogs 
talk about them like they're unbelievable, unbelievable, but, <laughs> and they are, you know, every dog is it's it, at some point kind of. So the chief ever try to pick up, have like when he was younger, did, would he try to pick up two birds at once on retrieves? Yeah. That's a common thing. How do you train that out of them? Um, again, like I'm not a professional trainer, so everybody, maybe they'll tell me I'm wrong by doing this, but I would just tell him like, and, and tell him to come here. Uh-huh. And if he still went to, to, towards the other bird, I would, Give him a old nick in the the e collar enough that he's like, yeah, that's a that is a better idea than keeping going for the second bird. So. And that didn't make him drop the first one. No, because well, I, a lot of people do like the pressure training where um, the pressure like you, you gotta hold on to the bird, and the, the only way to get the pressure to go away. I mean, that's what force fetch force fetch is. You have that pressure, and the end of that pressure is them getting to you and giving you the bird when that bird is gone, then the pressure stops from the collar. So, mm-hmm. um, again, I probably butchered, butchered that a little bit cause I'm not a professional trainer, but that's the gist of it. And I did that enough that he's not going to drop the bird. Gotcha. Yeah. It's just like the little, those subtle things that at this point I feel like would be the things that I would mess up more than anything. Like, I feel like I have a pretty good circle of guys around me that I could learn from about the big stuff. I mean, I could talk to you, Elliot, Josh, all those different people, but it's like those little things that I've seen in other dogs that I've hunted with. It's like, ah, those are the things that I worry that I would overlook, you know, early in the season, getting so excited about having a new dog. And, you know, I just don't want to make those mistakes in in the first year that that are going to be hard to correct later on. Yeah, it's definitely easier if you can do it right from the get-go. But like I said, I didn't do any of it right. I didn't even use an e-collar until he was like two or three. Didn't do force fetch till then either and all that. But it's definitely better if you can, you know, avoid having to kind of go backwards before you go forward. Yep. So, um, but yeah, let's uh, let's talk about uh, what you got planned for the season. You got anything, you know, I, I know you said uh, you got your August <clears throat> trip for uh, early goose. Um, you got anything beyond that or not at this time? I mean, I, I'm graduated now, so I kind of have to decide what I want to do with my life and get on with it. So this summer is a nice little, nice little break and time to kind of think about that and decide what the next step is. Um, but I hope to be able to do YouTube in, in a more full-time capacity this fall. I'm not sure if it'll be like my only thing the only thing I'm doing to make money because I don't know if it'll pay the bills completely, but I definitely want to try and make as many videos as possible this year and, and do some traveling. Unfortunately, $4 50 cent gas isn't, <laughs> isn't nice on the, on the bank account when it comes to traveling. So, um, I think I'm going to probably have to cl- keep it a little closer to home than I've been, you know, planning on this spring. But, uh, yeah, I'm going to, going to be back in virginia i think for at least a good bit of the year and maybe doing some traveling around the east coast maybe some trips out west and just try and see some new places hunt with some old friends some new friends and uh yeah kind of give youtube i'm gonna give youtube as good of a try as i can give it like with the budget and the money and everything i'm gonna give it a hundred percent of of what i what i've got and see if i can uh see if i can make a go of it awesome I'm gonna. I got. I'm gonna got got my truck with a camper shell on it now. So I'm gonna do a little truck build on that thing. Kind of, you know, taking a page out of your bus book and um, 
hopefully turn that thing into a little bit of a mobile hunting camp on wheels so that, you know, if I do want to take a trip out somewhere for a week or two, I can load up the, the essentials and go hit the road and do some camping on the road and, you know, hunt some places without having to spend the extra money on hotel rooms and that stuff. Yep. Heck yeah, man. Sounds awesome. Well, you're always welcome to, you know, hit me up during hunting season. We can have some type of yeah, we got collab where we have the, the camping vehicles and the, <laughs> the duck bus and the duck truck meet up and that'd be pretty cool. We and, could, uh, you can even spend the night with, uh, the heat cause we'll have the, oh, yeah. the wood burning stove. I so. know. Yeah. I don't think I can quite install a wood burning stove on my truck. So no, no. I think you still got the Trump card on me there, but <laughs> you could actually, but you know. yeah, it'd be tough. <laughs> but yeah, I, I did. We definitely have to make it happen. I mean, I've been up here three times now and it's like every time I see enough birds where I'm like, man, I'd love to get on a hunt up here with Jordan, and unfortunately, it just hasn't lined up. So this year, I think we got we got some plans in the works. Yeah, hopefully we make it happen. But um, yeah, man, thanks for uh, thanks for jumping on. I know this. Uh, we're, I hate to cut it short a little bit, but you got to get back on the road, and I got to get to work. Yeah. So um, and we got to get some breakfast. We got some. Uh, we got to get some of these uh, Amish cinnamon rolls. But one thing. You know, we can't end a podcast without, you know, taking, you taking a free pot shot at Matt, you know, oh, it's a, it's oh, a yeah. <laughs> obviously it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's part of the podcast. So you got any, uh, you got anything to say kind of a little bit on the mean side about Matt? Mm, I feel like I should take a shot at him about his girlfriend. Cause I feel like he's been telling <laughs> us for like the past two or three years. Cause me, you and him, we get on discord and chat about different stuff quite a bit. And he's always like, Oh, I'm not going to get a girlfriend. There's no way I'm getting tied down. <laughs> and it's like, honestly, I, I expected him to get a girlfriend. What I didn't expect is for him to get so wrapped up in it so quick. Like, it seems like they are moving at a very, <laughs> very quick pace. So, um, Matt, I'm looking forward to your wedding next spring. Yeah. Hopefully it won't be during turkey season. No. If it is, we will all roast you about that. No, and, we'll all bring our shotguns. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, just uh, don't make any mistakes. I was Valentine's Day is nine <laughs> months from duck season, so that's a sound advice. Sound <laughs> advice. I will say that I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised to be honest. Yeah, I mean, when, I, when you get to a certain age and you get in a relationship, things move a little quicker. So, um, you know, I guess we do forget that Matt's an old man <laughs> he's too. A, he's an old man. So at the, I think the real test will be to see if it makes it if if they make it through waterfowl season. I agree. I think I think if they make it through one waterfowl season, I think it, it's got to be as solid as can be. I mean, if she can oh, put yeah. up with him hunting eighty times a year, yeah. And the thing oh, is, he's not hunting eighty times a year. Well, the thing is too, like we we just talk about the number of times Matt hunts, but like also what we what doesn't come up much is like Matt hunts hard. He he gets up earlier than most people. He stays out longer than most people. He like. He, he, he oh, doesn't. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I don't know. I think he does. <laughs> I mean, he walks out his his back door. He he glasses the birds as they cup into the marsh. Yeah. He puts on his waders, gets in his truck, and puts on his pink onesie. <laughs> yeah. Goes stands out there. I'm over here, guys. <laughs> uh, and then he shoots his limit. Yeah. Does it for another day. So. Mm-hmm. Uh lucky lucky man but yeah that's uh that's my pot shot at matt for the day awesome i'm glad we glad we got that in there so yeah 
All righty. Well, appreciate you coming on. You got any last words to close out the podcast? Nope. Thanks for having me on again. And uh, yeah, it's been a little, it's been a fun tradition. We're making it now. Oh, so yeah. I look forward to stopping through again in August and uh, hopefully have some cool updates for you then. Yep. Sounds good. All righty, folks. I'm Jordan from Duck and Chronicles. Thomas, formerly of Virginia Outdoors Unlimited, now Hoke Outdoors. And we'll see you guys on the next one. See you.